Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, in Jesus' holy name, we thank you that the battle is not ours, but it's yours. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you speak into our lives, and you invite us to follow your Son into the desert that has our name on it. It's that personal, the journey that is ours, where you are there to meet us in intimacy of an encounter with you that will cleanse our hearts and prepare us to be more fruitfully used by you in this world. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, for that beautiful call. I want to ask you to bless those brothers and sisters of mine listening to this program, especially those who might be struggling with their Lent, uh, not having a good Lent, um, it's just failing to kind of get on their feet. So, Lord, just please, just please help them. Uh, just may this program be an encouragement, uh, an affirmation, Lord, to be able to uh, go further into our life of faith, Lord Jesus. Help us to go further into our life of faith. We ask this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow. Well, let's see. It's a week into Lent, and um, wow. Um, I, I mentioned last week before Lent started that I was like seriously considering just, I was a little bit of fear and trembling over this idea of giving my guardian angel permission to humble me every day and asking that that would be my Lent, one aspect of my Lenten obligation. I just did not realize um, like the ways that the humbling could occur and the stretching, my goodness, the stretching that would be involved in this Lent. And and frankly, honestly, I'm I'm you know I'm a week in, right? This is, well, we're actually starting the the second full week. Uh, no, I shouldn't say the second full week. Yeah, this is the second week of Lent. The second, sorry, this is day eight of Lent. The second week of Lent is on Sunday. You know that. Um, so, and, and wow, what an eventful Lent! How many times I failed is amazing. Okay, so what am I going to do in the program? Um, I, I want to share a couple stories about Lent, and maybe you're going to say, yes, I get it, or, wow, Tom, I'll pray for you. <laughs> the second is, um, I, I, I've i got all these quotes that we've, we were going to talk about on Mondays with the priests uh, the last two weeks, so that's going to be my safety net. If, um, if the other stories, I run out of that stuff, um, I've got some really powerful texts that bring up some themes connected to Lent from my daughter, Mary Grace. Um, Some really powerful questions, things to to ponder and think about connected to her journey in Lent. And then, um, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I I think that there's one or two other things as well, but I I don't actually remember what they are right now. But really, really humbling. Okay, so enough talking about really humbling. Let's, Let's just dive in. Let's just dive into Lent. So um, I have a first story, and the first story was a conversation I had with Carrie, and it just had to do with what's the difference between goodness and holiness? What's the difference between goodness and holiness? And, and this actually connects to Lent, because Lent doesn't make sense if the goal of Lent is human goodness, okay? The goal of Lent, the, the prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, these things that we're doing, isn't just about becoming better citizens or good human beings. 
And here's how, here's how I want to talk about it. And I'm only going to do it briefly, and it's this. And it was when Carrie said, honey, what's the difference between like, families that display like beautiful things that are human goods, human goods, right? So they, they are displaying in a public way, like, wow, that family just really seems to enjoy each other in whatever their activities are or whatever they're good at. And um, the, being a person of faith, like what's the difference between those two things? Because in our own lives, in our own homes, your home and my home, your family and my family, we know that as persons of faith, that being people of faith eliminates all challenges, all difficulties, and all sinful behavior. No, that's not true. <laughs> oh, it, it maybe is even more painful sometimes to feel it. Um, but we know that the battle is real. The battle is real. The battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil is a real battle. And knowing that there is the devil and that we live in a fallen world and that we experience the fallen dimension of this world and the dominion of Satan in our lives through the way it manifests itself in the flesh, we know when we confess in our thoughts and our words and what we've done and what we've failed to do every day that we fall short of God's glory. And so there's a battle, a spiritual battle going on. And Lent is a time that highlights that battle. It highlights the fact that my goal in life isn't just to be good at a human level and not just to be good with other human beings in my own family or my friends in a way that just says, wow, look at all the enjoyment these folks take in each other in the activities that they're doing. Because, and, and this was how I answered it to Carrie. I said, Carrie, authentic human goodness is released and protected by holiness. It takes supernatural graces to uphold and manifest in a deep and profound way human goodness. Did you hear that? Created goodness. The goodness that you can see at work in human beings when they're at their best relies upon the grace of God. Supernatural gifts and graces of God to be experienced. Now, I know at a human level, like at a um, let's let's say at a like a, at a visible level in a moment when you're in a public setting, people are really good at acting. People are really good at showing forth a unified face, showing forth their 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 best face, and it's like wow, those those folks really really like just do an amazing job of just enjoying each other. But the reality is, if these folks do not have a living faith in Jesus Christ, what's actually happening behind closed doors is an incapacity to show mercy, an incapacity to receive mercy, an incapacity to, uh, to love after the manner of Christ, which is sacrificially, in a way that's self-emptying. There are so many things that God's grace and the gifts of faith, hope, and love release within us. And so many of those are connected to the created nature that is ours, but that is fallen and bound, bound up by the sins that we've committed, by the sinful environment in which we're living, 
and by the sinful behaviors that we've had to suffer through with those that we live with. So in a public setting, they might look wonderful and just doing a great job, but behind closed doors, they're marked by the effects of sin, the consequences of sin. Their intellects are darkened, their wills are weak, their passions are in conflict, and they're experiencing a tendency towards sin that grows. It's called concupiscence. That urge towards sin is really part of their lives. And they're just some people and some groups of people that do a much better job of hiding that than others. And so I bring that up because don't uh, because it, it might be easily fooled. We might easily be fooled by the unified front of a family that seems to be like, wow, amazing. But if they lack faith, they lack the resources. They lack the access to the graces needed to be set free, even at a human level. Even at a human level. To be able to overcome impatience, harshness, critical attitudes, passivity, overaggressiveness, pick a deadly sin. These things are swarming around these poor folks who might look all together, put together, wonderfully blessed in human ways, but behind closed doors, they are laboring in darkness. They're laboring in hardness, in stuck places. And it's only God's grace that sets free. That's why the gospel is so important. That's why preaching the gospel is so critically important. Because the gospel is good news. The gospel is the truth of God revealed in Christ, manifesting the freedom that Christ won for us. And it's only by knowing the truth that we are truly set free in the deepest dimensions of our lives, which are these human dimensions. These human dimensions. And so, I didn't say it quite that long to carry, but for me, it leads us right around to, why do we do things that appear inhuman? Why do we do things that are not typical of human beings in the Lenten season in particular? Fasting, sacrifice, extending ourselves on behalf of others, not for our own sakes, not for what, anything that we get out of it, extending ourselves in prayer, right? doing things that are just uncomfortable. Why would we do those things? Well, because we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle for our own spiritual well-being. And part of that battle involves the ruthless elimination of sin from our lives. But it also involves the radical stance of openness and availability to the Lord if he would draw us out into a place where he wants to unbind and set us free. As Sister, um, Sister Miriam James Heidland pointed out in her uh, book of Lenten Reflections called Restore. Right? It's, it's all about doing things that are not like typical in the world, but we're going to elevate them to the spiritual dimension of our own lives of faith, and we're going to find that we're more human in the process. We're going to find that we're more patient and kind. We're going to find that we're more caring, more generous, more uh, uh, easier to be around, more enjoyable. Because we're going to actually find that one of the things that we enjoy doing is sacrificing our own joy for the sake of other people's joy. Did you hear that? You'll discover that you enjoy 
doing something that is sacrificial even of what you enjoy, sacrificial of your comfort, sacrificial of your ease, for the sake of extending yourself in a way that's generous to others, pouring yourself out. And so there's Lent. There's Lent. But did you hear the prayer I prayed way back at the beginning of this segment when I opened the program? I prayed that verse that was mine in 2020. Not 2021, 2020. The word that was for me in Scripture was my word for 2020. The battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. And that is precisely in a situation where King Jehoshaphat was being attacked by three, not one nation with a larger army, not two nations, two larger armies, but three nations with three larger armies all arrayed against King Jehoshaphat in the people uh, of Judah. And, um, and sure enough, they come at him, and the word, the prophet, uh, that the Lord raised up to speak to Jehoshaphat when he humbled himself was, the battle is not yours but God's. And he said, go down and witness what God will do in his battle on your behalf. You put him first, you watch what God will do. And sure enough, they went down there and evil destroys itself. Evil consumes itself. They weren't clever. They weren't strategic. King Jehoshaphat, they didn't come up with a sort of a winning plan and strategy. No, they witnessed God saying, I got you covered. I got your back. And two armies said, why do we split this three ways? Let's take out this third army. And then it'll just be the two of us will be plenty to take on that the, you know, the, the Israelites and sure enough, they destroyed the third army. And then it was like, well, wait a minute. Now that we betrayed our, our, our third partner, why, what is it to say that you wouldn't betray me too? Well, let me get you before you get me. <laughs> and sure enough, um, they, uh, they destroyed each other. And so King Jehoshaphat won a victory without lifting a sword because evil consumed itself. Because the battle is not ours, but God's. So in Lent, what are we doing? We're following the prompting of the Spirit who pushes us out into the desert. Jesus is there to be our good shepherd, shepherding us in, out into the desert of our Lent to accompany him. And through prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, extending ourselves in our relationship to God, restraining ourselves in our relationship to ourselves, and extending ourselves in loving ways towards others for God's sake, we're engaging in this spiritual battle. And the Lord knows what we need. He knows what we need. When we come back, I'm going to point out the three things that are fundamental to being a disciple of Jesus that we need, and then focus on the humbling that's already happened to me this Lent. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. Today in the program, I'm sharing with you some stories about what's happening in my Lent uh, I wish it was just sort of glory stories of victory to victory. <laughs> but that's not meant to be, at least not yet. Not yet. Praise be to God. I say yes, Lord. Yes in advance. Whatever you want from me today, I say yes in advance. Okay, so let's dive in. Uh, I mentioned just before the break that there are these three 
fundamental truths that are part of the whole dynamic of being a disciple. And when I think about how it is I'm supposed to grow as a disciple of Jesus, uh, as, I, as I grow in, again, these two dimensions, I always talk about it on the program, a saint fulfilling God, God's mission for my life, right? A saint fulfilling God's gift, gift, vision, mission for my life is really understanding what? The vision of who I am and the purpose for which I was created, right? So vocation, mission. Like those are the things that I, I focus because because really that's what it's all about, right? Why are we here? We're here to become saints and to fulfill our God-given purpose. And so I'm going to talk about that because my daughter, Mary Grace, shared with me um, a really interesting text. And then I'm going to get to these three moments, these three points that are so very important as we fulfill our call to be disciples in Lent. And her question was, how are you supposed to know if you're supposed to get married or if being single forever would be better or if it would be disobedient to not get married? Or would the sacrifice of being single or being a nun always be a pleasing sacrifice to God? But if I feel like I'm supposed to be married, would being a nun be disobedient? But if I even have a small desire to be a nun, that's not from nothing. (laughs) What a great set of reflections. So Mary Grace in her early 20s is, is at that place where she's discerning what? She's discerning her vocation, right? She has a clear sense that she's a child of God and she wants to fulfill a God's purpose for her life. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? How am I supposed to know uh, my call? And if I choose a state in life, right? There's states in life. Uh, so there is the consecrated life, there's the married life, and there's the priesthood. So Mary Grace is not called to the priesthood. So is she called to be consecrated? That's living a life of the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, right? Typically that's as a religious sister, a nun. Uh, There are particular modern forms called a secular institute that you you don't really call yourself a nun, but you still live a vowed life, but in facing the world, outwardly engaged in the world. But let's not get too detailed on that. So there's the consecrated religious state, right? And then there's the married state. And, and it's like, well, w- what am I supposed to do there? And one of the really interesting things that came out of our conversation was I talked about the way in which I discerned the call to be single for the Lord. I, I, not only did I spend five years in the seminary, but when I left, I was discerning whether the Lord had invited me to be single for him. In other words, to be celibate. To, to take that vow of celibacy, um, uh, totally apart from the priesthood. And for me, that was a really important part of my discernment. So I didn't feel like I was just uh, going to, uh, you know, sort of grip my teeth and and just suffer through the idea of being celibate because I felt called to be a priest. And and there was, there was that in the seminary. There were guys who were like, I feel called to be a priest. Um, and if being celibate is what's required to do that, well, I'll just suck it up. You know, I'll just uh, just make the make the sacrifice and, and do it as a duty because it's a it's a promise I made and I keep my promises. And I'm like, man, that's really sad. <laughs> that's completely not my approach to the concept of celibacy, which was less about the idea of sacrificing a good that I'm drawn to and would willingly uh, embrace, but because I feel called to be a priest, well, I guess I'm willing to make that sacrifice versus 
the Lord has invited me into a particular form of intimacy, of a total being held in reserve of my affective dimension of my spirituality, my life, to him, that he's inviting me into that that special form of total giving of my affective uh, sexual dimension to him. Um, and that for me is being celibate, right? It's like saying being married means not being single. Is like saying being celibate is not being married. No, there's a, there's a posi- there's a positive content there, a positive dimension. And so, when I started talking about this with Mary Grace, I said one of the things that I had to overcome was this idea that was really popular in the back when I was discerning, which was there is a woman for me. God is calling me to marry a woman rather than just. God is calling me to, to married life, and I should look around and find someone compatible who's like, yeah, I'm with you. I've got a common vision for marriage. We're both Catholic. Uh, we're both committed to this form of life, and, and I think we enjoy each other enough to say, yeah. Um, don't find the one. Just find um, a one, uh, someone who, you know, who is compatible that says let's live this life in this in this uh in this call to 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 uh, help each other on the path of holiness and to fulfill a god-given mission um and and so therefore you're not finding your soulmate that's not what it's about well that was something that i didn't receive a lot of like extraordinary guidance around that and so um Mary Grace, her, she had a very interesting point. She said, you know, my generation doesn't look at it like that. My generation puts such an emphasis on choice and that God gives you the choice. God gives you an invitation, but he gives you the freedom to respond that her, um, her line of reflection that was more her concern was, okay, if I, I'm drawn to do certain activities and I'm really good at doing those activities, and those activities bring a lot of people joy in an authentic way, in a way that's not only not only humanly joyful, but also has that touch of grace about them and, and can lead people to God. Like what? Like music, right? Playing music, singing, leading others in worship, uh, drawing, writing. She writes this beautiful poetry, the way she takes pictures, the, her video-making ability. Right? These are all, what, what are these? These are gifts. They don't make her holy. But her holiness would undergird the use of her gifts. There we go. We have it again. The supernatural sets free the natural and elevates the natural to do something extraordinary, something that is radiating God's glory. So you might be really good at photography and videos and do really unworthy, unholy, evil things with them, or even just neutral things with them. But boy, if you can use those gifts to do something glorious for God— why wouldn't God want you to do that? And her question was, well, I'm reading this book, Preparation for Death, and I'm like, uh-oh, there you go. <laughs> we'll come around to that. St. Alphonsus de Liguori, who puts such a singular focus on, look, life on earth is so quick, and find every means possible of sacrificing 
all that you are and all that you have to the Lord for his glory, and you will find the greatest of rewards in this life and in the life to come because you make God your sole focus. And she's like, well, why wouldn't, why wouldn't I then just become a nun and sacrifice all those gifts, just give them all up? That using them for God's glory is one way of glorifying God, but what about sacrificing the use of them for God's glory? Isn't that a way as well? And I'm like, okay, now we're getting into like advanced vocation theology here, and it's, it's something that um, it can be used as an excuse, but it can also definitely be used as a way of expressing a high calling, a very high calling, that using your gifts for God glorifies him, surrendering your gifts given to you by God is another use of them. And when God is saying, I give you freedom, I give you choice, then the, the amazing thing is, is that God will be glorified in you using your gifts or in that very powerful act of surrendering them for an even deeper sense of saying, Lord, all that I am and all that I have are yours, and I surrender it all into your hands. So, you know, it's a mysterious thing. It's a mysterious thing to d- discern that sense of call from God. So I, I just shared a little bit with Mary Grace about the way in which the call to married life versus religious life, um, you know, both of these are paths to becoming saints, but boy, it's not even a contest if you take a look at where do most um, canonized saints come from? Well, it's from consecrated religious and priests. Why? You know, it's because there's this sense of total dedication. You know, I, I pointed out St. Paul said, you know, I, I'd really, you know, want you to be like me, meaning celibate, single for the Lord, totally dedicated to the Lord. He said, because when you're married, you're, you're divided. You have a divided love. And it's really a divided love. Love. I mean that because, and, and, I, and I shared it with Mary Grace. I just said, look, you know, um, I love the Lord in two ways. I love the Lord directly. And, you know, in the intimacy of my own prayer, in that secret uh, relationship that I have with the Lord. Um, and so Carrie, my wife, does not distract me from that love, does not divert me from that love, um, but is a, is distinct from my love for the Lord that is intimate, personal, hidden, and m- me and the Lord, right? It's, it's that. At the same time, another way that I love the Lord is through Carrie, by loving her well. The two shall become one flesh. And so one of the ways that I commune and communicate with the Lord in loving ways is through loving my wife. Or even if I parsed that out a little bit, there are many ways and facets to how I love the Lord with Carrie. And it's because I'm with Carrie that I'm loving the Lord in a very distinct way. So when we pray together, whether we're singing and praise together, whether we are reading scripture together, or whether we're simply quiet together in our own time of personal prayer, but in the same place, 
whether we're wearing masks together. Right? These are all ways that we are loving God together. And, and that's more of a side-by-side way of loving God. Right? That's more of a side-by-side, like we stand together facing the Lord. But there's also the way in which we stand face-to-face, and in loving Carrie, I also am drawn to God. And that's something that is not the direct line, but there's a mediated line. And that's what St. Paul's talking about, that the time and attention, the focus and energy, the care that I have for Carrie is definitely coming from God and leading me back to God, but it's not the same as directly loving God. And so, um, I don't know, I don't know if that's helpful. I hope that's helpful. Just in kind of teasing out the different aspects of discerning God's call. So, in the end, what I, what I ended up saying to uh, my daughter was, you know, God does give you a space of freedom. And in many calls, there is that sense of choice, the space to choose. And so whether you would choose to be married, and in choosing to be married, choose to be married to this one versus that one, or whether there's that sense of the Lord inviting you to come follow me into the intimacy of the enclosed garden, the cloistered life or some other missionary life um, that would involve either sacrificing those gifts or using those gifts in surprising ways that you didn't really think about. The Lord gave them back to you as you surrendered them to him. All of a sudden, he elevated them to a different level of use. So um, whatever the, the mysterious path is there, you know, that might depend on what I call the specificity of God's call. That there are many who have a call that is open enough where the Lord is saying, I, I give you the, the, the freedom to choose. I give you the space to choose. I will use your life either way. I, will, I have the capacity to make you a saint and to fulfill the purpose for which I've created you in many ways. And so I'm giving you space. But others have a call that is so dense, so condensed, so focused and specific that they really were created for a particular office, a particular role, maybe even for a particular other person. And so, you know, whether that is St. Joseph and the Blessed Mother or um, some other great saint and founder, like you can even think of St. Francis and St. Clair or St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa, right? The Lord used them, right? Very, very powerful. Very, uh, we could kind of tease that out. But in many instances, there's more of that sense of space. So for me, Lent for us is this time in going out into the desert where we are stripping down and stripping away some of the ordinary distractions and diversions that keep us away from uh, the things that would help us grow in our identity as God's child, called to grow in holiness and become that saint. And the uh, transformative spiritual training to be more deeply uh, prepared and ready and available to be useful to the Lord on mission, identity and purpose, vision and mission, uh, our call and how we are sent. Uh, this is this is what Lent is all about. All right, I'm going to tease out those three themes in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So 
and this far into the program, uh, I was sharing with you the way in which um, uh, the Lord is calling us to enter into the spiritual battle, right? The spiritual battle of lead. And in doing so, the Lord drawing us out into this battle makes us realize in one way or the other that the battle isn't ours, but it's his. Now, he calls us to engage, but not apart from his grace, not apart from this moment of grace where we engage as well in a more determined way. So we put in more effort, but in doing so, it's because of the Lord's grace that stirs that effort, that undergirds that effort, that promotes and fosters that effort. But we still have to put in the effort. We still have to do the work. Okay, I've mentioned now um, this theme of knowing who we are, called to be saints, that's our identity, knowing what we're called to be about, that's our purpose, our mission, the reason why we're here on earth, to live that life that God has for us. I have found that there are these three moments that each have a very particular theme that if we knew them better, if we were able to get a more refined and profound insight into these themes, we would grow in our sense of identity and purpose, the vision and mission, the sense of the call to be a saint and to fulfill the God-given purpose for our life. We would do that if we had insight into these three things more profoundly. And and these aren't going to be some kind of like, oh my goodness, I've never heard this before, but I'm going to tease it out. So you've heard me talk about the three moments of God's call, if you've listened to Sound Insight. Those three moments of God's call are the moment of the call, the vocation, and then the third moment, that's the first moment. The, the third moment is the moment of empowerment, right? Think Pentecost, right? The first moment, the moment of call, think Peter and the fish, right? the, the miraculous catch of fish. The third moment is think Peter and Pentecost, where there's that preaching. But the second moment is the moment of desperation, the moment of radical poverty, that moment of incapacity, that moment where we're utterly distraught. Think Peter at the moment of his denial right? So you have the call, you have the moment of poverty or radical desperation, and then you have the moment of empowerment. And it seems to me that when I think about the reason why we Catholics and the reason why the Catholic Church on earth in the form of the people are not better evangelizers, are not more radiant in the witness of our Catholic faith, is because we fail to really mine, to dig deeply into one or more of these moments. And I think there's a way in which there are many Catholics who have not experienced any of these moments. And so I want to bring out these three moments from the standpoint of the way in which this Lent might be an opportunity for you to go deeper into one or more of these moments. So the first moment is, is the moment of God's call. The moment of God's call, when I think about that, That's where I would place so much of what I have shared and taught about for more than 20 years around John Paul II's theology of the person, namely that the person is a gift, that you are a gift. You don't just have gifts, but you are a gift. And that your deepest identity is that you have this gift quality, this gift quality because you've been created by God, not only radically dependent upon him, that you didn't choose to exist, that he created you, but rather that you are unique and irreplaceable, that in the mind of God, he planted you here on earth in this moment, in this family, intentionally. And that he has this beautiful way in which he has created you, 
such that there's some little glimpse of the very goodness of God, the beauty of God, and the truth of God. There's a, there's a beautiful display of who Jesus Christ is that shines forth in you in a way that has shown forth in no one else that has ever lived other than Jesus. There's a particular facet or display of God and godliness that is meant to come out into the open when you are in the room because you are that unique, precious, and irreplaceable. You're one of a kind. You will never be seen again in all of human history. That gift quality, too few Catholics know about. Too few Catholics have encountered and like allowed the Lord to wash over, sink in, and immerse you like a sponge to fill you with that profound encounter, awareness, and radiance that comes from knowing that God enjoys you, that Jesus knows you, he likes you. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. He smiles when he thinks about you, and he's always thinking about you, and that he wants you to know that love, and he wants to unveil before your eyes that gift quality that I was talking about, that you are a gift to him, and he longs to make you a gift to the world. If we knew that about ourselves, if we lived in that awareness, it would change how we lived in our relationship to everybody else because then we would begin to see over time, gradually and grow in it, the reality that every single person that's around us in life is also a gift and has those same features and qualities that I just mentioned about you. And so for many Catholics, if you would just please allow the Lord to love you into a new level of awareness and experience of the reality that you're a gift. That would be a huge blessing to your family. That would be an incredible blessing to your marriage. Everybody would enjoy you more. <laughs> uh, and, and so how do we do that? Just go before the Lord. Go to adoration. Go before a tabernacle. Go before the Lord and just say, Lord, reveal to me the gift that I am to you. Lord, reveal to me the gift that I am that you created me to be. I, I just want to know that gift. And so that would be a powerful Lent. You want to pray. Pray in that way. Pray in that way that you would come to know the gift quality that you are and that you have. It would be a huge blessing. What an amazing Lent. Okay, that's the first one, is that sense of being a gift. What's the second one? Well, I'm going to jump over the, the second one, which is that moment of poverty, because that's the one that we get the least. That's the one that Catholics have heard the least about, and we understand the least. In fact, that would be this is the one that, believe it or not, it's the one that's sort of the least attractive, but it's the most game-changing, because you're really, really, really going to have a hard time getting to the third one without this second one. And the second one is radical desperation, radical incapacity. But let me go to the third one. The third one, remember that third word? The first word is call, and that call is related to the word gift. The, the second word I've talked about is this radical poverty or desperation. And the third is what? Empowerment. Empowerment. Because in the first one, when you realize that you're called as gift, that's how you were created, well, then you realize that your call is to be a gift, you who are a gift, go and be a gift to others. That is, go and invest who you are, pour your life out so that others would come alive. 
And then all of a sudden you realize it's impossible to do that. That's why you need empowerment. That's that third word. And I'm like, Catholics are not good at empowerment. Not like, oh, I will empower you. I will, you know, um, delegate to you. I will encourage you to take action. No, 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 no. It's experiencing the power of God such that you have a sense of confidence and boldness in witnessing to Jesus in your day-to-day life. And that you have a radical faith expectation that the Lord is moving in supernatural ways in the world today. And yes, around you, in you, and even through you. And that he has lavished gifts and graces upon you and his Holy Spirit, that is the power of God, lives within you and is ready to move you and move through you to perform signs and wonders and deeds of power. Yes, miracles, supernatural activity, healings, blessings, spiritual warfare, and yes, radical acts of generous service, self-giving service in relationships that are right around you through patience and kindness, through giving time and attention and care, and doing so in a way that the other feels like they're being a gift to you, when in fact you are pouring yourself out for them. And so that sense of empowerment is something that is so foreign to so many Catholics. I'm so grateful to God for the gift of the charismatic renewal in that regard through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, praying for me to have an encounter with, to experience the release of the gifts and graces given to me in my baptism and my confirmation. And then my confirmation was a personal Pentecost. And the Pentecost wasn't just the birthday of the church where the apostles and disciples and the mother of God were had this uh, pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon them and emboldened them, they who were hiding, praying, and waiting, now went forth and couldn't be stopped. That Holy Spirit is still at work in the church and is still at work in and through us if we're only going to believe it, expect it, hope for it, move in it. That sense of empowerment is so desperately needed today. And it's something we can pray for this Lent. We can go before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. We can say, please, Lord, release within me the gifts and graces of my baptism and my confirmation. Lord, release within me the personal Pentecost that you have ordained. All right, I'm up against a break. When we come back, I'll finish that up and get to the second moment in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. So uh, in reflecting on this program with you, I'm kind of bringing you up to date on some of the things that have been happening. And I laughed from the very beginning at the humility and the humiliation that has come to me so quickly in this Lenten season. Uh, In the program, I've been focused more on the way in which um, Lent really shows the fact that the supernatural undergirds and sets free the natural, that uh, living well in our created life, the life that we have as human beings, the goodness that is there, really only comes to be supported and and expressed because we embrace a supernatural call. And that really shows up very powerfully in Lent. The things that we're doing are really connected to our life of faith and don't make a lot of sense apart from that. But that also sets free, flourishing even at a human level. Talking about this in terms of those three moments of God's call that he calls us and that if we could only in this Lent recognize the gift that each of us is and that 
God, in calling us, also wants to give us the power to fulfill that call, the empowerment that is there, and that the Holy Spirit given to us in baptism and confirmation is intended to be uh, loosed and, uh, and, and the driving force of our lives, the Holy Spirit. Um, so Holy Spirit, please come and be set free in me. Pray that during Lent so that you'll experience the empowerment. The middle moment, this moment of desperation, this moment of powerlessness, this moment of um, experiencing that the fact that we are broken down and that we require uh, just completely the grace of God, the power of God, is, is the thing that we avoid the most. It's the thing that we uh, are drawn to the least. It's the thing that is the hardest for us as Americans and, frankly, as Catholics to, um, to think that this is an integral part of living our life of faith. Uh, it's so funny. Um, just a few minutes ago, literally, uh, my son John Mark was saying, Dad, you know what I was thinking about? Uh, the fact that the cross... Um, which is something that we try to avoid and we consider negative, is actually the path to our salvation. That we, like we want to be saved, but we don't want the cross. And yet we should really be grateful for the crosses that we reach in our lives because they are the path through which we come to salvation. And I'm like, I can't believe you said that. That's like literally what I could just plant in the middle of this talk right here that between the call and empowerment is the cross. Between uh, the uh, the um, coming among us, the incarnation, God coming among us as man, and the resurrection is the passion and death of Jesus. And between us experiencing the fact that we're a gift from God in creation and the new creation that is ours in the resurrection empowered by his spirit is in fact the cross. And it's like, this idea of being desperate, fundamentally recognizing our, our radical need for God is something that we just avoid. And it's it's a great sadness because so much power, really the power of God comes through the doorway of powerlessness. The power of God, the empowerment of God comes through the doorway of our desperation, of our crying out to God. It's something that we don't think about, we don't really reflect on, and yet it's all over the scriptures. It's all over the Liturgy of the Hours, especially the Office of Readings. Remember now, the Office of Readings would have been prayed typically in the middle of the night. And who's up in the middle of the night praying? The desperate. So listen to this prayer. This was from Monday's Office of Readings. Have mercy. And just imagine, have you ever prayed this way? Who prays like this? This is the prayer of desperation. Have mercy on me, Lord. I have no strength. Lord, heal me. My body is racked. My soul is racked with pain. But you, O oh Lord, how long? Return, Lord, rescue my soul. Save me in your merciful love. For in death, no one remembers you. From the grave, who can give you praise? I am exhausted with my groaning. Every night, I drench my pillow with tears. I bedew my bread, my bed with weeping. My eyes waste away with grief. I have grown old, surrounded by my foes. And then it goes on. I mean, who prays like that? Well, you know who prays like that? Every priest you know. 
every priest you know prayed that prayer on Monday morning. Every religious prayed that prayer on Monday morning. But the question I have is, for how many of them is that an existential reality? For how many of them is that a word of God that has taken root, blossomed forth, and bloomed in their lives? That that is the word of God that marks how they live. And I'm not picking on them. It's just that it is easier for um, bishops and priests today to experience protection from the harshness of life that leads people to pray, Lord, heal me. My body is racked. My soul is racked with pain. But you, how long, O oh Lord, rescue my soul, save me. And, you know, I'm exhausted with my groaning. Every night I drench my pillow with tears. I bedew my, my bread with weeping. My eyes waste away with grief. I've grown old, surrounded by my foes. You want to experience Lent? Do you want to experience the gift that you are in God's eyes and the power of God? Make that prayer. Psalm 12. Make Psalm 12. That section of Psalm 12. Say, Lord, make that alive in me. Make that scripture take flesh in my life. If my soul is racked with pain, I'm exhausted with my groaning. Every night I drench my pillow with tears. Wow. Who lives that right now? Like, I think that we have like the uh, Russian invasion of the Ukraine. And so we get these dribs and drabs of stories coming out and you could say that there are certain Ukrainian families that are experiencing that. You can think of harsh, just terrible, terrifying situations around the world. Like how about young teenage girls who have been kidnapped and who are trapped in sex trafficking situations? Yeah, that's them. Um, I think about that in terms of parents who have teenagers who are uh, rebellious and who are out of control and who are engaged in self-destructive behavior. And the parents are just utterly at a loss. I'm exhausted with my groaning. Every night I drench my pillow with tears. I bedew my bed with weeping. My eyes waste away with grief. Yeah. Yeah. Parents traumatized, overwhelmed. And somehow this is a gift. Somehow that's a gift. What, what, where's the gift in that? Well, I think the gift is that in all of those like horrible circumstances, when we turn to God, God comes and says, watch what I can do. Watch how I will move. Watch how I will move in power. All right. I want to end with the humbling stories. So, okay, guardian angel, I give you permission to humble me each day. So, Monday, um, I, I do this real estate work, right? And I'm, I am um, getting this real estate purchase and sale agreement put together, which is basically, right, a buyer presenting something to the seller. And there was this deadline, right, for like six in the evening. And two o'clock, my internet goes out. Like, there was no weather event. I called Comcast. There's no, like, reason why it would go out. I went up there and unplugged and plugged things in and and they did all these diagnostics and it took 
uh, two hours, two hours of all of this back and forth, phone call, email, figure the stuff out, text messaging. And after two hours, they're like, yep, it's not working. We'll have to send somebody out. I'm like, you're kidding. Really? Are you serious? <laughs> I've got to get this stuff out. I've got to get this done. And I'm letting these people down, the buyer and the seller and, and all of this. So I, I go down to a coffee shop to use the Wi-Fi and I jump on the Wi-Fi and I can't get on the site, the site where I'm doing this transaction. It's not working. I'm like, what in the world? Starbucks won't let me get onto the site. So I drive to the real estate agency that I, I, um, I'm a part of. I go into their office. I get on the website and it's still not working. Guess what? The website portal for the transaction that I'm putting together is experiencing connectivity problems and is down. <laughs> I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, not only does my internet at home not go down, but this transaction portal has never gone down, not even once for a minute. And it goes down literally at the same time and overlapping with my internet problems precisely at the moment when I'm supposed to perform and fulfill my duty and to these guys. And I just had to humbly, humbly bring up to, the, to them this is beyond my control. I'm stuck. I am powerless. I'm powerless. Um, more to say, but it, it all worked out. They said, let's just get it done the next day. So last night, Tuesday night, Carrie and I go to Adoration. Uh, 10 o'clock, we have our hour at St. Joan. We get there and we've got these key cards. Well, the key cards no longer functioning because they've gone to an app. So I load the app on my phone, and the code doesn't work. So I find the updated code. It doesn't work. And here we are. We drove all this way to go to Adoration. We can't get in. We're locked out because we didn't do a good enough job of getting our key code updated in time. So humbling. Oh, God bless me. <laughs>